All right, all right, all right. Good morning. Make your way back to your chairs. Fun to be with you guys this morning. Uh, summer has officially started, and I'm already tired. Are any moms and dads out there already tired? I'm exhausted, man. Kids are tiring. They got no bedtimes. They're up all night. We've had sleepovers and slumber parties since Thursday, uh, and we're, I'm tired. Holy smokes. Uh, summer's just getting started. But it's fun to have you with us this morning. Today, we're going to be starting a new series that I'm really, really excited about. Um, so has anybody seen Aladdin yet? Anybody? It was really good. So I took my family to go see it this last week. And so uh, I grew up watching the correct version, which is the cartoon version. And so my kids, uh, kind of growing up, that was always on in the background. And they always kind of have picked up a song here or there. And when the new Aladdin came out, they were like, oh, this is a big deal. This is what dad's been talking about forever. And so they were actually pretty excited about it, but not really even sure they, why they were excited, except that dad and mom were excited about going to see it. And they could probably sing, you know, a couple of the key songs from the movie from, you know, picking up parts of the, uh, of the original here or there. Uh, and so it was really fun for us to go kind of see the whole story of the new one. And so, and truthfully is, I've been kind of thinking about that idea, how there are these blockbusters that everybody, you know, or at least my kids kind of know about, and they may have picked up a piece here and there, but they've never really sat down and like gone through the whole story. And I think that's probably true when it comes to our faith journeys as well. There are these truths, there are these big, like foundational things that maybe you have grown up hearing about or knowing like that's a big deal. And you might even be able to, like my kids do, kind of pick up a piece here and there, but you've never really taken the time to sit and to digest and say, why is that so central for us? Why do we actually think that is uh, just so important? And so that's what we're gonna be doing this summer. We're gonna be walking through kind of the blockbusters of the Christian faith, if you will, that we kind of know and have heard about. And we're gonna be asking the question, why are those so central to us? Why are they so important? And so we're gonna call this uh, series um, The Spiritual Affect. Um, and so that is not a misprint up there. That's actually a letter. Uh, uh, we're calling it the spiritual affect. Does anybody know what the difference is between affect and effect? I mean, I know you're out of school, but uh, l- let me give you a little example of it. Um, so for me to have an affect on, that, on this water bottle right here, the affect is me pushing it. The effect is it hitting the ground and spilling, right? So the affect is what I would do on it the effect is what would happen as a result of it. And so we're calling this series The Spiritual Effect because we believe that there are these pillars, there's these things out there that God has given us that he's pushing on. And as a result, there should be a result in our lives. You should be able to see the difference that these things make in your life because they're that foundational for us. And so this morning, I'm gonna ask you to put on your thinking hats. I know it's summertime and you're out of school, but come on, baby, I'm counting on you this morning. And so I need you to put your thinking caps on because this morning we're gonna talk about one that um, is massive and oftentimes, if we're, if, we're, if we're honest, can be pretty dang confusing at the, confusing at the same time. This morning, we're gonna be talking about the Trinity. And 
Uh, you, I'm sure, are like me. You know about it. You've heard about it. But have you ever really considered it and considered why the Christian faith, why people that follow Christ hold the, the theology or the doctrine of the Trinity just so, so central? And then what is the effect that it should have in your life? Because it, because it should have an effect. It should have a result that shows up in your life. One of the early church historians around the year three, 400 um, had a beautiful quote about the Trinity and listen to what he said. His name is Augustine of Hippo, which is an awesome name. Let's write, it's just an awesome name. It says this, if you try to understand it, you will lose your mind. Try to deny it and you will lose your soul. What a profound, weighty idea that to try to explain the Trinity, you're gonna lose your mind. But if you deny its existence, you're actually gonna lose part of your soul. And so this morning, I'm gonna ask you, can we lose our minds together a little this morning? Can we really get after it and kind of wrestle with this um, understanding of the Trinity? And so we're gonna um, kind of define what it is and maybe take a look at what it's not because def uh, definitions matter. Um, how you define things actually has implications of what they look like in your life. Um, for example, uh, fellas, help me out. In my house, when it's, hey, we're gonna relax around the house this afternoon, what does that mean? <laughs> that means we're gonna relax around the house, right? Like we're gonna sit around on the couch, we're gonna play with the kids, we're not gonna do much of anything. If you ask my wife, what does it mean to relax around the house, what is she gonna say? Clean, yes, we're gonna clean up. We're gonna get the house reset for tomorrow. We're gonna make lunches. We're gonna get kids' clothes set out for the next day. So relaxing around the house to me means relaxing around the house. But for my wife, it means we're gonna prepare and get ready for the next day. And so what we're gonna do this morning is try to define the Trinity because how you define it has implications on how you actually understand it. And so if you're new or visiting this morning, we say the Shema on Sunday mornings. Shema simply means to hear or to listen. Uh, it's a declaration that is found in the Older Testament as well in the New Testament. In fact, when some of Jesus's followers go to Jesus and ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Um, Jesus quotes part of the Shema. We say the Shema to prepare our hearts to receive God's words. And so um, we'll say just the first couple of lines in uh, Hebrew, that's the language that Jesus would have understood it in because we think that's powerful to have his words on our lips and the language that he would have known it in. It's powerful. Oftentimes you'll see our community uh, raise up a pinky and that's because you and I are forgetful people. And all throughout the Older Testament, there is this picture or this image that says the finger of God or the hand of God. And it was a, a, a picture of God's power and his might. And so we raise a pinky to be reminded that there's enough power in God's smallest finger to transform the world and your very life. I like to think of it as I need to be reminded that God is not interested in making bad things good, but dead things come back to life. And so would you stand with me as we say the Shema and prepare ourselves to receive God's word. Shema.
And so God, we pray as we open your word, God, that as we read it, it would read us. God, that if there's anything of me that gets mixed up, God, that it would quickly be forgotten. May your words take root in us this morning, God, and my prayer is always may we see things we've never seen so that we can do things we've never done. It's in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. All right, so we're having a little technical difficulty with some of the iPad stuff. And so I was going to draw a picture for you this morning, but the iPads are not syncing right. But let's go ahead, and I think we have a picture of what I'm going to draw this morning, what I was going to draw this morning. So how we define the Trinity is actually really, uh, really important. So uh, we understand the Trinity, um, uh, uh, that God, that there's three people. There's God the Father. There's God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so it's what we say on, on Sunday mornings when it comes to the Shema. The Lord our God is one. There's one God. There's not three gods. There's one God. I know this is confusing. If you're like me, you're like, no, one plus one plus one equals three. That's not true. When it comes to the Trinity, it's one plus one plus one equals one. One God, it's what we say on Sunday mornings. So we have God at the center of this. But in scripture, we have seen the son. We see Jesus. And uh, so we understand that that, uh, people worship Jesus and that Jesus is God, that he is fully God, right? But then when you see in scripture, you also have these moments uh, where Jesus uh, says things like, my father or our father, he addresses God as our father. And so you not only have the son, but you have the father. Now, those are the two top bubbles. Now, what what's you need to see is important here is that if, uh, if someone were gonna ask you, is God, Jesus, are God and Jesus the same person? Well, we would say, no, they're the same God, but they're distinct, right? Does that make sense? You have God the Father and God the Son that make up God, but they are distinct in nature. So God is not the same as Jesus, just like Jesus is not the same of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the same as the Father. But when you look at all of them together, it's not one plus one plus one equals three. It's one plus one plus one equals one. Who is confused? (laughs) Anybody? Okay, good. Uh, So you're on track to understanding the Trinity then if you're confused right now because it is a little bit confusing how the math doesn't really add up. But this picture right here is important for us just as as a baseline understanding of what we're talking about in the Trinity. Because if you get off on this, things can go kinda haywire for us and it has implications. Um, just like I think it's important for us to pause and note that there's not God the Father in the Old Testament, God the Son in the Gospels, and God the Holy Spirit from Acts on. That's not our understanding. That's not the Trinitarian, big word, nature of who God is. And it's important for us to have a good baseline understanding of this. This is also important because there are distinctions, like they're fully god uh, but they're also individual. And this is important because, you know, for example, the uh, Mormons, uh, if, you're un- if you ever question like, I-, I don't understand the Mormon faith, Mormons would say, you see the son and the father. 
how we understand that Jesus is fully God, the Mormons would, don't have a Trinitarian nature understanding. They believe that Jesus was a man who became God. And that's different than our understanding. We would say, no, Jesus didn't become God. He was Lord at his birth. That was, it's just a foundational understanding for us. Just like uh, the Jehovah Witnesses would say that there's not one God, but that there are multiple gods. And that the Trinity, they're not fully God by themselves. Um, There are multiple gods out there. And so why does this stuff matter? Because it has implications. How you define like a day off matters how you live a day off. Just like how you define the Trinity has implications for how you live out your faith. Now, I know we're, we're, we're kind of going nerd mode on us this morning, but I want to show you what the, a, the uh, effect, or effect would be, right? <laughs> That's right. The effect that should happen by, by understanding this, because this is important, all right? It's not just let's wrap our brain around, try to wrap our brain around something, but let's talk about what difference that actually should make in your life? Because it's important. Uh, so Mark 1, 9 says this. Let's go there. I want to show you uh, a few scriptures about the inner workings of the Trinity and how the Trinity operate and they flow together. And we're going to look at just two places in scripture. It says this in Mark 1, 9. This is at the baptism of Jesus, just to give you some context for where we're going. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John, the baptized, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting open and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Now, what you need to see here just from this passage is that Mark is not just writing something forward. He's also referring back to the Genesis, Genesis account of creation. And we're gonna get there in just one second. But I want you to see who shows up at the baptism of Jesus, because this is one of the few places in the scripture where you have all three persons of the Trinity manifesting themselves at the exact same time. Hang with me, we're, we're gonna get there, but hang with me, I don't wanna show you this. Look who shows up at the Trinity. You need to understand that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have always been together, but look who shows up at the Trinity. Jesus comes up out of the water. You have Jesus. The heavens part and a dove comes down. The Holy Spirit gets dropped. And then a voice from heaven speaks as God the Father. And so you see this unfold, this Trinitary nature at the baptism of Jesus. Do you know where the only other place in all of the scripture where all three members of the Trinity manifest or show up at the exact same time? Glad you ask. Creation, the creation account. And I wanna show you that. And then we're gonna ask the big question of, so what, why does all this even matter? All right, so Genesis one, let's go there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the depths of the water, the deep water. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And God said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the first three verses 
of the story of the gospel in the Genesis account, you have all three members of the Trinity showing up and manifesting themselves at the exact same time. Did you see it? Let me show it to you. So you have God the Father who is like the author or the conductor of creation and he's, uh, uh, he's doing things, he's creating, he's pulling all these things together. And then it says um, that the spirit of God hovered over the water, right? It hovered over the depths of the water, which we lose a little bit of the understanding there. Um, the rabbis, um, there's a picture there that the rabbis would talk about. And the better picture, or maybe a better translation for us there is at the creation, it says, not that the spirit hovered over the waters, but the spirit fluttered over the waters like a dove. So where else do you see that? Where else do you see a dove descending and fluttering over the waters? It's at the baptism of Jesus, where we just read. So Mark is making this picture uh, and referring back to the original account. And then we see Jesus show up at the dawn of creation too, which might be a little bit harder to see. But did you see how he shows up at, in the Genesis, Genesis account? It says, then God said, let there be light. God said. Now, for those of you that have been hanging around Riverside for the last season or so, um, this last semester, we walked through the full book of the Gospel of John, and it was awesome. We did that together. Do you remember what we talked about in week one? Um, when the scriptures talk about or when they refer to the word of God, what is the word of God? Is it the Bible? No. The scriptures refer to the word of God as Jesus. That Jesus is the voice of God, the word of God. Let me show you it uh, this morning. Look at what it says in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, the word, there's Jesus, already existed. The word was with God. He existed in the beginning. Keep going. He existed in the beginning. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and life brought light to everyone. So at the dawn of creation, you have all three members of the Trinity showing up. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so there are these distinct places in the scripture where you see all three members of the Trinity kind of manifesting themselves and coming back um, uh, uh, together. So now let's talk about the effect. I know like we're going there and if you're kind of nerdy and you enjoy doing like good theological work, you're like, done, let's go home. That's really cool stuff. I did not know that, that all three members of the Trinity existed at the dawn of creation. I didn't know that when we saw the baptism of Jesus, it's just a retelling of the creation account. Like those things are just central. That's beautiful, let's go home. But there's gotta be a little bit more. We're not gonna just love God with our minds. We're gonna love God with our feet. We gotta walk that out about what are the implications uh, of this Trinitarian nature of God. And so what God is doing by showing us these two examples from the scripture in Genesis and Mark is he's pulling back the covers and he's showing you the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. He's showing you how they interact with each other and how they are actually in relationship together. Some of the greatest theologians uh, have a pretty bold statement and they say, understanding how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist and are in relationship together is perhaps the search for meaning of life itself. That's a pretty bold statement that to understand the nature of the Trinity is maybe to understand the meaning of life itself. And I wanna show you why they make that statement real quick. I want you to pay attention to the nature of the relationship one more time as we read it. I want you to ask, what is, the, what is going on between all three members of the Trinity? And so Mark 1, let's go there one more time. When Je- one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit coming down on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you being me great joy. There's two pictures I want you to see from here. I want you to see how the members of the Trinity treat each other. And the first one I want you to see is how does God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit of God interact with each other? So Jesus is in the water, um, the heavens part, and the dove comes down and uh, engulfs Jesus. Um, it glorifies Jesus, it steadies Jesus, it equips him, it empowers him. And this, the nature of that relationship is a pattern you see all throughout scripture. Whenever you see the interaction between how Jesus and the Holy Spirit interact together, you're always gonna see this pattern of the Spirit coming and empowering Jesus the spirit in the next couple verses, leading Jesus. You'll see that next in the story. The spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness or the spirit uh, steadies Jesus when Jesus is in anguish or when he's in pain or the spirit gives revelation to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes alongside. It comes up underneath. It supports Jesus. It's this beautiful selfless relationship that the Holy Spirit and Jesus and how they interact act with one another. And it's a pattern you see all throughout the scriptures. And then the second interaction I want you to see, which is important, is how do you see at the baptism of Jesus, how does God the Father interact with his son? Well, Jesus comes up out of the water, this dove comes down, and what, is, what does God do? He, he speaks. And what does God speak? He speaks, that one is mine. That's my boy, and I'm proud of him. He belongs to me. God speaks words of encouragement and affirmation and blessing and identity and belonging. And it's a pattern you see all throughout the scriptures. Whenever God interacts with his son, it's always this pattern of blessing, encouragement, identity, support, uh, coming up underneath, releasing, encouraging Jesus. And it's a pattern you see all throughout the scriptures. 
one more passage we're gonna go to and then we're gonna pull the floor out and we're gonna, you're gonna see why all of this stuff actually matters, all right? One more passage to get to and it's found in John 17 and it's how Jesus interacts with his father. So hang with me just for one second, just one second because we're almost there. It says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that I can give it right back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given to him. And in this way, and excuse me, and this is the way to eternal life. It's to know you, God. It's to know Jesus as the one you sent. Jesus is about, this is Jesus right before he goes to the cross. And you know what Jesus says right before he goes to the cross? God, would you glorify me so that I can give it right back to you? God, would you help me so that I can in return point people right back to you? It's only gonna be about me because it's only gonna really be about you. Listen to what it says in verse four. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me. Now, Father, bring me the glory we shared from the beginning of the world. Do you see this relationship of the Trinity? Do you see how they are interacting and treating each other Whenever the scripture talks about the Trinity, all you see is one big, fat, honking glory exchange. It's what you see. It's God says, oh, okay, I'll let you glorify me, but only so I can glorify you. All right, okay, okay, here's the deal. I'll let you love me and pour out your blessing on me, but only so I can really turn around and bless you. Like you can come and support me, but nah, 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 nah. I'm gonna come alongside and support you. I wanna be about what you're, what you're doing. God, I'll let you serve me and meet my needs, but here's the deal, God. I'll only do that so that I can, in return, point people back to you because you're the way to real eternal life. Do you see the, the relationship of the Trinity is based, is not based on this, I'm existing so that you can meet my, my needs. It is the most selfless, relationship that the world has ever known. The relationship of the Trinity is based on other-centeredness. It's what you see in the scriptures, is that the relationship that the Trinity enjoys is always based on other-centeredness. It does not insist on having it become the primary agent but it always insists on lifting up the other members of the Trinity. It is utterly, guys, this is utterly beautiful and it is breathtaking just to consider actually how the members of the Trinity interact with each other. This, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm literally just thinking about it, just speechless. C.S. Lewis, uh, who many of you know, who is, a brilliant theologian um, of his time called this the great dance. Uh, he described the members of the Trinity as having and being in this great dance together because no members of the Trinity insist on being the lead, that all of them are voluntarily prioritizing the other one. And it's this beautiful imagery that we see of the selflessness of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is the most selflessless relationship that the world has ever known. Now, here's what I want you to consider this morning. 
you were thought up and you were created right smack dab in the middle of that. When God thought about you and your life and how he patterned you, you are created smack dab in the middle of that divine relationship. You are created right in the middle of the Trinity. And this is where we need to be careful. It's not like, and I don't, just to bump you a little bit this morning. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. So it's hard, we don't, I think we get into trouble when we say, God, would you come into my heart? When God is like, no, I'm coming, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to come right into the middle of this because this is how you were created, right? It's that inversion. It's like me-centered versus God-centered. And when God thought of you, when God had you in mind, it was right in the middle of the dance. And you and I, our lives are designed to reflect the nature of the Trinity. Genesis 1:26 says, "Let us make human beings in our image and to so that they can be like us." And I always wondered why who is the us? Who is the R in Genesis? It's the Trinity. You are fashioned, you are created, you are designed to reflect the divine selflessness of the Trinity. Just pause for a second. All of that stuff is great and kind of heady. But to make it personal for you this morning is this. Did I just describe your relationships? Did I describe a picture of your marriage? Did I describe uh, the way that you treat your parents? Did I describe the way that you treat your siblings? Did I describe the way that you treat your coworkers? Because you have to center yourself on this. Real life, well, I'm just, I'm utterly convinced to the core of my DNA that you will never find real life when your life is centered on you. You will never find real life in a self-centered life. You are designed right in smack dab in the middle of the Trinity, the most selfless, laying down, prioritizing, loving, encouraging, other-centered relationship that the world has ever known. Have, I, have, we, have we talked about your family? Have we described the way that you interact with people? So I've shared uh, me and Christy's story many, many times in here. Uh, and uh, we've been married uh, 16 years this last year. And, you know, the first couple of years are always hard, <laughs> you know, and uh, it's difficult. And so much of the pain and uh, conflict along the road for us is because, well, surely I thought this relationship existed to meet my needs. Surely this was God's idea that I am supposed to get from this person the things that I deserve. And we, re- we both reflected that. She'll tell you the same thing, that if you really, and I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have the courage to probably talk about it then, but at the essence of our relationship, we were both very selfish people. And 
we led with a me-centered, me-focused way of, of love. And I think that's actually not real love at all. And do you know when things got better for me and Christy? Do you know when the ship turned around for us? Is when we began to mirror what we talked about this morning. Where we began to mirror how you and I were originally intended and designed to live. A selfless life. And I remember my prayer, God, would you help me love this woman that you've given me as a blessing, whether she is kind to me, whether she treats me the way I think I need to be treated, whether she gives me what I think I need to be gotten. Is that right? I don't know. But however she responded, I just wanted to love her no matter what, to prioritize her and reflect that nature of how I was designed and created to be. And you know what? God is so good and he's so kind. He was doing the same thing, going, doing the same work in Christy at the same time. And so you have these two people just crying out to God, God, would you change my heart? Would you break my heart for the other one? Would you help me to live with how you had created us to be? This, brothers and sisters, is your design. This is how you are to flow in the world. This is how you are to live in your marriage. This is how you're designed to live with your little brother or your sister or your kids, students, your parents, is to mirror the selflessness, to mirror the other-centeredness, to mirror the honor and give respect and to give love and to bless and to encourage aspect of the Trinity. So this morning, gosh, goodness gracious, what a blockbuster, what a blockbuster just foundational truth for us to consider this morning. And so maybe just along the way, you've picked up parts of the Trinity that are right, parts of the Trinity that maybe you got to go back and think through. But at the core of the, of the Trinity is an, is an invitation to live your life reflecting the nature of which you were originally designed to be. And my prayer for you, my prayer for us this morning is can we consider that? Can we consider what a life mirrored reflecting would actually do? How that would actually transform all of the relationships of the people around you? That's the invitation for you this morning.